BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're sitting down with the head of San Francisco's Chinese Hospital, where fears of devastation from COVID-19 did not come to pass. That's right. Dr. Jen Zhang is here. She has a fascinating life story and has worked her way up from CEO to CEO of the hospital after coming to the U.S. as a medical student. But first, Scott, let's talk about the news of the week as we do, starting with Vice President Kamala Harris's first trip back to her hometown of Oakland on Monday. You were there. Tell us about the visit and, and, and why was she here? Yeah, well, you know, this was her returning visit, uh, first one as VP uh, to her hometown. And, you know, there was a lot of hometown love. You could, everywhere she went and everyone who talked uh, said how happy they were to see her, including Barbara Lee, the congresswoman, who made a point of saying that uh, Kamala Harris was born in her congressional district. You know, everybody wanted to take a little bit of credit for that. You know, she came to town. She had been in Los Angeles for the weekend. She was there for Easter, came up, and really uh, was here to plug the infrastructure, the American Jobs Plan, as they call it. And she made made a couple of stops. She went up to um, upper Oakland, sort of the hills of Oakland a little bit. There was a water treatment plant that she went to. That's where the governor met with her, Governor Newsom. She got a tour and, you know, it was very choreographed. There were X's on the sidewalk where everybody was supposed to stand. Um, and she did plug plug that and, and clean water and the importance of clean water and the money that's in the infrastructure uh proposal, you know, to pay for that. And then she went to a small business, uh, Red Door Catering, uh, which has gotten money from a small loan program from the government. And she was talking about entrepreneurship and the importance of making sure small, especially women and minority owned businesses have access to credit. So that was sort of the, you know, the reason for it. Uh, the frustrating thing, I mean, it was it, kind of interesting. I was the radio pool, as you said. And, you know, the frustrating part was just that, she didn't take any questions, you know, and you can't just, uh, there wasn't even an opportunity to yell questions, you know, so it was very, it was very choreographed. Yeah, I mean, and and the governor was there with her, Scott. I mean, what was your impression? These are kind of longtime allies, but also competitors. Frenemies, um, frenemies. Frenemies, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably mellowed out in recent years as their paths have sort of diverged outside of the city. But what, what was the vibe there, especially given that we're still in the middle of counting these recall signatures yeah, for the no, governor? It, it was very interesting, Marisa. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, 
everyone was there to see her, not to see him. And he, he knew that. He knew what his role was. He was very deferential. Uh, he spoke when he spoke for about a minute and a half, which, uh, as those of us who cover the governor know, that is pretty brief. Yeah, that is brevity for Nancy. That is brevity. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, so he talked about the drought. Um, she talked about him briefly, saying, you know, he has great environmental credentials. She did not mention uh, the recall. She mentioned they'd both been elected in 2003. They've worked together a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, it was interesting because he said to her, we have your back. Uh, talking about the infrastructure plan, which was interesting because I think what he really wants is to know that they have his back uh, in terms of the recall. I'm sure they will. And you also wonder if he even wants to bring up the recall. I mean, this is, you know, the whole point of her trip is to really sell this this uh, recovery plan as well as the new infrastructure uh, and jobs bills that they're pushing. We just heard today that there's going to be an aerospace uh, federal investment in L.A., something I'm sure he's been bending the VP's ear about. Um, Also this week, though, Scott Newsom made some big, big, big news, which um, thinking back to a year ago, (laughs) we wouldn't have. I don't know. do, Do we expect it to happen or never? or that it would have happened sooner. But he is now saying that by June 15th, we will fully reopen the economy in California if we have enough vaccines in arms and hospital rates remain low. Um, Obviously, great news for businesses. Um, I'm kind of going to be watching to see how the public responds and just in the sense of like consumer confidence. I think some people, you know, who may be comfortable going to restaurants at 25% capacity, which is not great for restaurants. Um, Although they have their parklets now. So that's really, yeah, in, some, in yeah. some cases made the restaurants even bigger than they were. Yeah, but it'll be fascinating to see kind of what the what the response is more globally among both businesses and the public, I think, as, as we approach this June 15th date. Yeah, totally. And of course, it's a bit of the roll of the dice for him because, you know, it, we have seen in recent days a slight uptick in the positivity rate. It's still very low. It's about 1.8, 1.9%, which is, I think, the lowest in the country among the states, which is very good. Hospitalization is very low. But, you know, with the variants, and he talked about this, I mean, there is the possibility that yeah. June 15th will get here and we're, you know, we're not going to be ready to reopen completely. Uh, that said, I think, you know, the upside is a summer of normalcy uh, that people will be experiencing and and teachers and parents and kids and, yeah. you know, coming into the recall, that's that's a good thing for him politically. Yeah. I mean, my kid goes back to the classroom for the first time in over a year, a week from Monday, and it's a short day, but we all have hopes for the fall. Um A lot of, you know, I think we got to mention the recall and also the fact that a lot of people who are supporting the recall felt like this was a political decision by him, that he didn't need to do it so soon that he did it because of the pressure. Um, We'll leave that to other pundits for now, Scott. But we did have some interesting news this week, which is San Francisco's own Harmeet Dillon, lawyer and Republican National Committee woman, is now advising Caitlyn Jenner, um, former Olympic athlete, uh, former Kardashian Kardashian star, uh, who is weighing a run as a Republican, uh, she's pretty conservative um, for the recall. So is Caitlyn Jenner the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, Scott? You know, it, it does bring back echoes of 2003. But, you know, um, I will say it'll certainly bring the national press out here and it'll heighten interest in the recall. But just because of the, I mean, you know, it's she, she's never run for anything. Uh, I don't think you would say she's qualified to be governor of California, but she is a media magnet. And, you said uh, it, not me. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> what is what is qualified? Yeah, um, well, you know. we'll have plenty of time to chew that over. It seems like she has not fully decided whether to run yet. One interesting, I do think that Harmie Dillon, being her general counsel, or you know, suggests that she, you know people, the, the Republican base, the hardcore Republicans, are not happy with the choices right now. No. Meaning Kevin Faulkner, former you know mayor of San Diego, who they would call a rhino, Republican right. in name only. And she is getting uh, advised by Brad Pascali, the former Trump advisor. So she's tying herself to Trump from the get-go. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll be joined by the CEO of San Francisco's Chinese Hospital, Dr. Zhen Zhang. You are listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks welcome back to political breakdown i'm marisa lagos here with scott schaefer and we are joined by dr jen zhang she is ceo of chinese hospital here in san francisco dr zhang welcome to the breakdown hi marisa hi scott you're very nice to see you again thank you yeah, I am so happy to have you join us. I should say we first talked a year ago when I was working on a big project with uh, Reveal and some reporters in Miami, kind of comparing the Florida and California responses. And we've learned a lot since last May about COVID-19 <laughs> and the coronavirus. Um, but we thought we'd start, you know, we want to talk about how well you all have handled this pandemic in Chinatown at the Chinese hospital. But first, I want to give you know, our listeners an opportunity to understand how you even came to this role. So you grew up in China, and I think we're a medical student who came to study here. Can you go back a little bit? Tell us, I mean, was medicine always something you planned on going into? And I don't know, it seems like a, a pretty amazing rise to become CEO of a hospital. You sure it was. It, it has been so long. So I came to this country to study at UCSF, actually School of Nursing, as a master's student in uh, uh, you know, uh, UCSF. So I ended up doing my clinical rotation here in, in Chinese hospital. I was shocked when I was told that there was a Chinese hospital here in United States, uh, apparently. And so coming in here really shocked me to see uh, a Chinese hospital here, like, you know, serving mainly the, um, uh, the low income new immigrants and then a lot of seniors here. And uh, so ended up doing a lot of uh, uh, grant writing and helping the low income people. And then uh, so after I graduated, then I work here uh, at, at the at 
the ED and then also later on working in many uh, uh, departments and then um, uh, created all the clinics uh, for, for the hospital and then uh, come back to the hospital, uh, you know, in 2015 as a COO and then um, I took on the CEO position at the end of uh, uh, 2017. What did you notice in terms of differences in healthcare and medicine between China and San Francisco or, or the United States? It's very different. I think the practice model and uh, payment model is very different. And then, uh, however, we serve a lot of the same populations because a lot of immigrants are actually coming from China, right? And so I think the cultural piece and then the uh, language capacity is very important for people who are sick. And especially during the pandemic, I can tell you that it really make a difference. When uh, PPE was so short and you have someone who, who's uh, sick, like infected with COVID and, and being isolated. And then, you know, if you need to find someone to translate for them, it's almost impossible there, right? Like in, in, in the real world. Like through so, the mask and all the, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the face shield and everything. And then, and, and waste the PPE too, right? To, to get another person in the room to do that. So we've seen a lot of the, the, the culture piece and then the language uh, uh, piece in, in, in this very, very important. Can I ask before we talk about um, the last year and everything, I mean, were your parents in medicine? My understanding when we last talked is that you started out in nursing. So like, was this an expected, not, not just coming to America, but becoming a doctor? Was that something that your family would have expected? Yeah, in, in China, it's very different. So we went to medical school directly from high school. Not like here that you uh, would go to college first and then you apply for med school. So in China, you go to med school directly from uh, high school. So I went to Sun Yat-sen University of Medical Sciences in, in, in China. And then you go in and then with different, in a STEM medical school, you have different majors, right? And so um, right after that uh, medical school, so I actually uh, was... Uh, sent by the, the university to uh, United States to get a master's degree and will go back to help create a nursing program. Because ah. there was no, uh, uh, yeah, a BS uh, prepared nursing uh, 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 students like there in China. And then it's very interesting. So the, the BSN program was created in uh, the 80s, actually. And then uh, I was supposed to be helping with the graduate uh, program in, in China. So it, it's, uh, yeah, very, very different. Uh, you uh, never went back, though. <laughs> I, I did. I actually still go. I'm still going back every year to help out, actually. You know, yeah. with the, you must have uh, a yeah. lot of family there, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I still have family there. And I also, I go back there to teach every year to do mm -hmm. leadership training. Hmm. And so I'm still helping a lot of the international work, like to build the international uh, 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 relationship for, for both U.S. and China. It's, well, uh, I want to ask you about the, the pandemic and the early, you were among the first to recognize the threat, you know, in January of 2020 before it was really on the radar for a lot of people. And, you know, as Marisa reported, you had all, were great fears about what could happen in a community like Chinatown, very dense, a lot of SRO hotels. Uh, talk about, you know, what your fears were and, and why they didn't come to pass. So that, that's right. I mean, like now we can 
laugh about it, we can talk about it, but back in January 2020, that wasn't the case. So we were really uh, concerned, very scared, because I think everybody was thinking that the outbreak here would be in, in Chinatown because of the living condition here in Chinatown being the San Francisco Chinatown, being the uh, second most uh, mostly a most densely populated area, right, in, in the nation. And then also, too, it's a Chinese New Year. A lot of people traveling from China and all our residents are going back to China for New Year and, and coming back. So then there's direct flights. And, 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 and most importantly, because we didn't know much about the virus at that time. And so I talk a lot with my colleagues in China, and then some of them were deployed to Wuhan to help out. And so we started very, very early. I think the early prevention and early education really make a, a huge difference. And then now thinking back that, uh, you know, like what we have done differently, I think that we probably start month earlier compared to other parts of the uh, the, the country for this, because that um, we, we created the hotline, we did a lot of community outreach, we educated community about uh, uh, the virus, also we learn about the virus actually. And then uh, a lot of other things now really think about it that for Chinatown, I think the good thing is that we have our own healthcare system here, like having a Chinese hospital here and, and really makes a huge difference. And I think then we also have our own um, kind of media system in, in a way, you know, there are many, uh, the Many, Chinese newspapers, uh, Chinese, uh, newspapers, and then there's a uh, uh, radio, Ch Chinese radio, Chinese uh, TV stations, and they were great. They were here, like my God, sometimes every day at the beginning, and then they were here definitely every week, and then like you know, taking the information from us to the community. And so that makes a huge difference too. So we work very closely together with the community leaders and the older associations, and then with San Francisco DPH, you know, the uh, uh, very closely. So I really, and then the elected officials, right? Our, our supervisor, uh, you know, here in our district uh, uh, helped a lot, their office. So I think it's really the collective effort of, of all you know stakeholders that make the difference it, it, and you talk yeah no and and you know nationally this became so political right like it became this right versus left issue there's so much distrust of, of of the scientists i'm wondering if both the history of chinese hospital and just the fact that so many of the people you're serving are immigrants um it, like it has this played out differently politically in a place like chinatown is it are people are more willing to listen to the doctors I think so too. I think it's the culture that Chinese culture that really I think transparent uh, uh, messages, informations to them. Us, us, we learned. We basically kind of like telling them everything we we knew right at that time. And and the other thing too, though, yes, I, I agree. You, you know that Chinese hospital was first created in like in eight in the eighteen hundreds, right? Because the overseas Chinese are coming here that they were not allowed to go to mainstream hospital. For, for for their healthcare, even though they were here to build the the railroads, right, work very very hard. When they got sick, when they were not allowed to access the mainstream hospital, so that's why they kind of really worked so hard to build 
uh, their own hospital, right? At the beginning, it started with a dispensary, and then uh, uh, it was destroyed during the, the huge earthquake in 1906. And then later on, it, the first hospital was opened in 1925, and that was kind of like the the, the real hospital and and ever since that we overcome a lot of uh, uh challenges to maintain the community hospitals and it's it, it's very very difficult it's very challenging to to uh maintain a small community hospitals nowadays yeah and, and but it does play a, a very important role and for the community to you know, a place that people can go to when they're sick, or do, especially during the pandemic, a place really was here or has been here, I should say, to safeguard the community. Yeah, and they're already familiar with it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, and today we're talking with Chinese hospital CEO, Dr. Jen Zhang. I want to ask you, Doctor, what the thought was, what went through your mind when you started hearing President Trump refer to this as the, uh, you know, the, the Wuhan, what do you call it, the, the um, Chinese China virus, virus, the Hong virus. Kong, the, the, yeah, all, yeah all, all those things. Um, yeah. Did you immediately think, oh, oh, this is trouble, this is going to be trouble because we're going to become, you know, targets? I mean, what was your initial thinking? Yes, that was really uh, was very shocking to me that, you know, when he called it, uh, it I think he called it Chinese virus, yeah. right? And, and it's not Chinese virus, right? It's a virus that can infect anybody. It doesn't matter your Chinese or what color your skin's, uh, uh, you know, is, right? It really doesn't matter. It's a virus. It can infect anybody. So for elected officials to to call it Chinese virus, it's really misleading. So that's why it caused a lot of problem. You see that people attacking Chinese, attacking uh, uh, Asian, right? And and so it caused a lot of problem. And I want people to know that it, it it's really wrong to think that it's a Chinese virus or to call it Chinese virus. And then so here in, in, in San Francisco Chinatown, uh, we can probably say that we have proved that it's COVID-19, it's preventable and controllable. And, and so don't call it Chinese virus or don't call it Kung flu. It, it's, it's not um, uh, responsible to, to do that. And it's wrong to attack Asian or attack Chinese because of COVID-19. What's your personal experience been? I mean, we have colleagues and friends who have family in Chinatown or elsewhere in the city who are very concerned about you know, their parents just walking around. I'm just, have you had any personal experience or what are you seeing in the community right now? It is, we're very concerned too, because we now like we're giving our uh, COVID vaccines every day right here. And we have uh, seniors who are afraid to come out to get the vaccines because it, it, they worry about being attacked, right? And so, and we've seen uh, attacks here in, in the city and in the public transportation, even our employees, we really worry about the safety of our employees too, coming to work. And uh, and we actually have to work with uh, uh, our our uh, central station police uh, uh, department. Say, can you make uh, more runs or like patrol more, especially during shift change, like at night? Mm -hmm. And and so it's it's concerning, and it's a safety. It's a huge issue. 
You know, when, when this uh, these vicious crimes started happening, uh, you know, so, a number of the assailants were black. In some of the videos that were captured, and you know, Mayor London Breed made a point of saying, you know, the black community does not support this. And I'm just wondering, you know, have there been? Are you aware of any, you know, communications, any conversations, community conversations between the two communities, the AAPI community and the black community? I think we try to work together. And uh, to me, I think it doesn't matter what color. Again, like I said, I think that we should all work together, fight against the uh, virus and not people, right? Attacking people is not going to help any of these, uh, 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 not going to help with the pandemic, put it that way. And I think that you know that the very high percentage of Asian uh, doctors, a very high percentage of Asian nurses or other healthcare providers. We're actually doing everything we can to help uh, 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 end the pandemic, right? Attacking um, Asian or any minorities. It, it, it's or wrong. pitting them against each other. <laughs> which or, is yeah, getting them against each other. It, it's, it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, we've mentioned repeatedly, you guys are in Chinatown. Um, this hospital was um, rebuilt just a few years ago. I know when you took over in 2017, it was facing some financial troubles. Um, and Rose Pack, who is like a larger than life uh, figure in not just Chinatown, but but San Francisco politics, was a huge force in getting the money to rebuild the hospital. Um, talk about her. Did you guys have a close relationship? And and what what has it been like since her death a few years ago um, to keep sort of that work going? Yeah, and Rose and I work together uh, a lot. And a lot of it is the fundraising uh, efforts, right? Because we, we did. And um, so she uh, did a lot for the hospital, actually, back in the 70s, if you, you probably heard about that. Yes, it is very challenging to run a community uh, uh, hospitals. As, as you can tell that in California, we have like only uh, a 15 like also independent hospitals here. I'm like, we, we have an independent hospital council and, and there are fewer and fewer independent hospitals left and nation by same thing, right? And then last year during the pandemic, there were a lot, a lot of small uh, community hospitals were closed because of, because of the financial impact. And so back in the seventies, Rose actually already at that time uh, helped a Chinese hospital uh, uh, survived once already mm. because at that time there were a lot of uh, hospitals were not meeting the seismic codes. Remember there was an earthquake in LA and then after that there's a seismic codes that you have to, to meet. Well and there's so a big earthquake in 89 here in San Francisco. Yeah, that that too. And then I think earlier than that, there was the one in LA, they started to have this seismic codes issue. And then Chinese hospital was one of the hospitals uh, notified that you need to fix a hospital to meet that code. And then apparently that you can't just fix a hospital uh, overnight, right? And I think uh, the, the hospital board, the community leaders, the physician leaders, and Rose at the time, and they were working very, very hard to uh, get the state to, to help with that uh, issue. And then we were able to convert. I wasn't here yet at the time. And so converted the, the medical building into a hospital, which we call the 79 building now. And uh, 
in 2016, we opened a new hospital. That's what Marissa just uh, was talking about, that it's a new hospital that we did a lot of fundraising, and Rose was very active uh, uh, leading that fundraising uh, committee. We we uh, we mentioned uh, Marisa mentioned that she was a f- sort of a force of nature, uh, very well known in politics, a mover and shaker, uh, and also a chain smoker. I'm wondering, did <laughs> did you ever try to get her to stop smoking? I don't think I ever saw her without a cigarette in her hand. <laughs> I, I think you can tell Rose what to do. Right? <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. Rosa nope. will do what Rosa will do, right? Yeah. Yes, we talk about that. Uh, you know, like a, a smoking, but yeah, I don't. I don't think that that you know. We, we did talk about that, but just, <laughs> yeah. so just about a minute left, Dr. Zhang. I mean, what's your hope as we hopefully exit this pandemic for the hospital and, and the community? So right now we are actively giving out uh, COVID vaccines. We really want to uh, vaccinate as many people as uh, 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 you know as possible, and then as fast as possible, so we can reach the herd uh, uh, immunity and kind of to get ready to reopen the community. And I call the uh, all this uh, economics, uh, you know, impact as uh, so like a complications of the pandemic, right? The pandemic was really bad. It has been over a year, but then the complications of that, meaning the financial impact and all other, you know, like you were talking about your kids' school closed for so long. There are a lot of mental issues related to that, uh, the long, I mean, staying home is good, but staying home for too long and being isolated is not good, right? So we, we see a lot of mental issues. And then, uh, so we need to get our community or our business to, to, to reopen, our school to reopen. We need to get back to some kind of normalcy soon. And uh, so that's what we do, and we're doing everything we can to uh, ki- to kind of really keep our, our uh, residents uh, healthy and happy. That way, you know, so we can um, get back to um, normal life uh, as soon as possible. You think that June 15th is okay? We're good on that? I think that would be a good start. All right. <laughs> awesome. We, we, at this point, Chinese hospital is COVID-free. So we oh, don't have okay. any. That's amazing. Excellent. Yeah, so. All right. Well, congratulations, Dr. Zhen Zheng. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer today, Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Toven Lindsay, Vinny Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. And if you have ideas for who you'd like to see on our show, tweet them at us. We're always looking for new guests. I'm at M. Lagos and Scott's at Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.